Hello and welcome to this episode of Nicholas Wealth and Power. Today we're going to dive into Australia's rental situation. Are we, as many news sources claim, experience a rental crisis? Or is this hysterical hyperbole? To do so, we have Nicholas Wealth's Chief Economist and the Macro Business Co-Founder, Leif Van Onselen. Welcome to the show, Leif. G'day, Shelley. Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm Shelley George, Chief Operating Officer at Nucleus Wealth, and I'm coming to you today from the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We love bringing content at Nucleus Wealth, and you can help us to continue to do so by subscribing, liking, or clicking the YouTube bell to be notified when there's more. Uh, a really important message that I want everyone to take into the show is to note that uh, anything we talk about and any advice given in this show is general in nature, and so it's not going to necessarily relate to your personal circumstances. But if there is anything you'd like to discuss uh, regarding this, you can get in touch with us on 1300 623 863 or contact at nucleuswealth.com. All right. So, Leith, I feel like ever since I moved to Sydney in December, I have been inundated with headlines and anecdotal evidence of a crazy rental market. From 30 to 50% hikes for existing tenants to bidding wars between new tenants and lines around the block for inspections. I'm definitely asking myself, am I red Yaris everywhere because I'm looking to buy a red Yaris? Or is there an actual issue here? No, nah, there's a massive issue, Shelley. Um, unfortunately, pretty much every single data point you look at, uh, whether it's, you know, um, the CoreLogic, uh, SQM Research or Domain, they're, they're the main, um, all the real estate institutes are prop track. They're all the main private sector providers who monitor asking rents. They're all showing basically double digit increases across the capitals. Uh, we've basically got the, the tightest rental market on record, or at least in living memory, uh, as well as uh, the, the fastest growing rents on record or you know, in living, uh, basically in my lifetime, I'm 45 years old. There's, there, was, there was probably faster rents in like the post-war period in the 1950s when they removed rent controls. But in modern times, this is the worst rental market in uh, yeah, uh, in in Australia's modern history, so no, you're not you're not imagining it. Unfortunately, All it's right. very very bad, and it's going to get worse. All right. So, um, I feel like the rental market doesn't necessarily get as uh, as much coverage as the property market, and um, it really sounds like the property market has has been heating up again. Um, but now, you know, we're seeing we're seeing strength in in the rental market as well. Um, I guess I'm thinking from a property perspective. Ever since Labor's come into policy, I've heard a lot of, um, you know, a, a lot of concern about the housing supply situation. Um, so, do you know, they've just given a budget. Did they actually address anything in that budget around these issues? Yeah, they unfortunately made it worse. Um, now, now, the reason why I say that is uh, the area of the budget that I always go to first, which is basically different to what everyone else does, is you go to appendix A of budget paper number three, and that's buried in like page 150 or something of budget paper number three. They have the population forecast and the immigration forecast. And what the latest federal budget basically showed was that Australia is going to experience the biggest immigration surge in this nation's history and also the strongest population growth in this nation's history. So um, effectively, the Australian population grew by just under 500,000 people last year, which is an you know, enormous amount of people in 2022. And that's part of the reasons why you're seeing, obviously, the rental market's crowded, uh, you know, completely um, bustling with people trying to, trying to get into homes because there's so many more people. Uh, now, the, the federal budget 
predicts that over this current financial year and the next financial year, we're going to get 715,000 net overseas migra uh, migrants arriving, which is the biggest in history. Uh, and then after that, we're going to have about 260,000 people a year. Now, that is also, you know, higher than, way higher than the 15 years of so-called big Australian immigration we had before the pandemic where we averaged 220,000. So 260 is the standard amount going forward, according to the budget's projections. So, um, and, and what this means in terms of population growth, the federal budget predicts that over the next five years, Australia's population is going to grow by 2,180,000 people. So that's an enormous amount of people in just five years. Now, to put that into perspective, that is like having five Canberras worth of people arriving in five years. So mostly that most uh, 1.5 million of that will be directly through net overseas migration. And, and the other, you know, 700,000 or so will be natural increase, which obviously includes also children and migrants as well. So okay. basically, um, you know, we are, we're going to have five Canberra's worth of people or alternatively, you want to look at a different way, an entire Perth arriving in Australia in the next five years. And this is coming at the same time as the housing construction industry is uh, really on its knees. We've got, um, you know, collapses left, right and centre. Everyone's heard about Porter Davis Homes, which is a massive production builder. Mm -hmm. But we've lost about 1,500 housing construction firms so far this financial year, you know, uh, about 10 months in. Which That's is huge. The, that's, it's that's, absolutely massive. That sounds like a massive number. I yeah, it is. Thought that's the whole industry. I'm sure. It's no, no. Well, stadium, I mean, but... yeah. Obviously, obviously, there, there's there's a lot of really small players in that. So they'd be you know, sole traders and tradesmen and whatever. But at the same time, you got ginormous players like Porter Davis Homes, which is one of the Australia's biggest production builder. That's also gone under, and a whole bunch of other ones like Honto Homes, which is you know medium to large, and there's there's a whole you know it's it, it's the whole gamut, and um. Some some forecasts that came out uh, this week actually showed that we're going to lose also about sixty thousand housing construction jobs over the next few years. Um, now that that that's a combination of two things. So first of all, the Morrison government made a really bad error. <laughs> they made a lot of errors, but uh, one of, <laughs> one of the bad errors they made uh, when the pandemic hit was they brought out this thing called Home Builder, which was the stimulus package. And what they did was that actually gave people tens of thousands of dollars to enter into contracts to build new homes. And what they did was that led to a rush of demand for people yeah, wanting to okay. build homes. And pretty much, like, I mean, in their defence, they weren't the only government that did this. A lot of governments around the world did the same thing at the same time. And when you had the pandemic supply restrictions and, you know, um, you know obviously less people in factories building stuff overseas and you had problems with, you know, freight, all this ended up doing was it bought it. It led to tens of thousands of Australians and other people around the world signing these these contracts. And most of the contracts in Australia for building a fixed price. So they they yeah. locked in these prices. So, you know, for example, someone might have signed a contract to build a house in uh, for a half a million dollars. Unfortunately, because of the supply restrictions and everything else, we had the rampant in cost inflation and materials costs went up 30% for uh, construction. So all of a sudden, builders who thought they were going to make, you know, 20% profit margin, for example, we're now going to lose money on every yeah. single home they built. And what's done is it's left a huge pipeline of homes of contracts that have been signed, but builders are falling over left, right and centre because every home they build, they'll lose money on because they've entered these fixed price contracts. And that's why we're seeing all these construction companies go under. And the problem going forward also is, so you've got that, you've got the cost side, which is setting them broke. At the same time, demand, now that that home builder thing's rolled off, 
and everyone sees all the problems in the market and they see that it costs so much more to build a home now, uh, new home demand has actually collapsed, despite the fact we've got all these extra people coming into the country. So building approvals, new home sales, uh, finance commitments for, for new housing have all collapsed. So we've got basically dwelling approvals are running at, you know, 12-year lows. You've got, um, you know, finance commitments for people borrowing to build a new home is down at a 15-year low. And new home sales are about half what they were um, during the pandemic. So you've got these really bad forward-looking indicators saying that, you know, demand's collapsed for these these homes. Um, I mean, talk about actual buy demand, not what we need. At the same time as the building industry's um, capacity to build homes has shrunk at the same time as we've got the biggest population surge ever. So all this means is that the housing market, let alone the rental market, is going to tighten further. Rents are going to surge. I'm going to have a whole lot of people either having to crowd together into, into group housing yeah. or they're going to become homeless. And that's basically the long and short of it. You can't grow the population at a much faster rate than your ability to build homes um, without the housing situation getting a lot worse. And that's basically the unfortunate situation we're looking at. All right, that. That sounds terrible. Um, uh, forgive me, listeners. I realised uh, I didn't actually follow through with, I think, the logical question for Leith around why are actually rents going so crazy right now? So, Leith, I have a couple of questions about everything you've just said, but I thought, can you actually start with an explanation of that, please? Yeah, so um, so so basically, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a supply-demand question. Um, so, rent, so rents are soaring because we've got, obviously, a lot more demand for rents because you know there, 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 there was two factors over the pandemic initially um rents fell at the start when we lost when a lot of migrants went home and then they actually rose which is kind of counterintuitive and the reason why yeah. they rose was because uh, we had all these work from home protocols um, people didn't want to live in group houses anymore uh, either because they needed a home office or because it wasn't you know safe to live with other people you know to share a flat with three different people whatever and um, so rental demand, well, the, the quantity of homes you need to house the population um, actually went up. So e- even though the population size hadn't really grown, the number of um, the, the average person per house fell at the start of the pandemic. Yeah. Then obviously the last year we've had this ginormous population surge where, you know, as I said before, population went up a half a million in 2022. Mm-hmm. Now it's going to rocket at levels, you know, 2.2 million people roughly over the next five years. So now it's, we've got a situation where it's just more people needing accommodation. And what that means is you've got more people bidding, um, you know, uh, competing with each other for rent, so rents go up. Um, now it is obviously constrained by how much people can pay, but, and we are starting to see at least, you know, early data or anecdotal data of the number of people per home starting to rise again as people start to share. Okay. Um, and that's kind of the situation. If you can't build these homes, there's only two things that can happen. People can either become homeless or they can start, uh, you know, kids can stay at home along with their parents. They can move back in with their parents. You can have people decide to take on flatmates to share the costs. Everyone gets, you know, have people sleep on your couch. That's basically the situation I think we're going to find ourselves in. And um, because ultimately, you know, there's only so far rents can go before people can't afford it. And that's kind of the situation we're starting to find ourselves in. Do you have a view on how far that is that it can go? Uh, I don't know. I, I think I think rents are going to grow at a much faster rate than incomes for a while. Like at the moment, the national um, asking rents have been rising about ten percent. 
So incomes uh, haven't been really growing for a long time, right? No. Even now we've seen a little bit, but it's three and a half percent inflation, right? Yeah, it's about half the rate of inflation. So the latest uh, wage price index, which was released on Thursday, um, showed, oh, sorry, Wednesday, showed that uh, that um, wages rose by, I think it was at 3.7% year on year. So um, yeah, look, they're, they're rising and that's actually, you know, the, the fastest in about 12 years or so, but it's actually kind of standard to what we had in the 2000s. That was normal. Uh, we've sort of gone back to normal level. Problem is inflation is rising at uh, seven, and we've got rents rising at double digits. So it's, um, yeah, pe people are basically uh, using more of their disposable income to house themselves, mm -hmm. whether it's through mortgage payments because the mortgage rates have gone way up or yeah. through rents. So it's a pretty nasty sort of situation. All right. Okay. Um, so, and then um, another question I had was with respect to this Morrison um, home builder policy um, or a renovation policy, it sounded a lot more like to me. Um, was you said it was an error of policy, but what was it an error at the time that it was introduced, or did it just become an error of policy because um, of the supply side issues that came after that and really were unrelated? No. Well, I mean, I remember I, I attacked it pretty ruthlessly at the time because mm -hmm. uh, my, my argument at the time and many other people, it wasn't just me, I'm not trying to, you know, there was a lot of it, was pretty common, was that why are we doing this when we should be building social housing? So basically, Australia's stock of social housing has basically halved over the last 30, 30 odd years um, as a share of the population. And part of that's because we've grown the population so fast and we haven't invested in the social housing stock. So as the population grows, obviously you get less social housing, um, you know, per capita. And, um, you know, we, we, we've been desperately short of social houses for, you know, generations, really. Yeah, I mean, it feels like at least 20, 30 years. Of uh, I basically, remember. my lifetime, my lifetime. Okay, so I'm, 40, so I'm 45 and, you know, probably since the early 80s, really, it's been on the way down. Um, Why is that? Well, cause, just because governments have decided to uh, to not invest in it and, and, and they've left it all to the market. It's the old neoliberal, um, unfortunately, the neoliberal curse. So whether you want to blame, you know, Reaganism, Thatcherism, whatever we, we did the same thing uh we followed it yeah sure basically right. leave it all to the market the market will will decide and we'll find uh, a solution yeah yeah okay. and unfortunately it doesn't the market i mean i guess when you talk about market efficiencies it's uh like i remember first year economics i'm not an economist but um you know public goods or externalities yep. that aren't priced in uh feels like the economics says the government's job is to make sure there are mechanisms to price in these externalities which none of them I've really done no and it's it's like that across everything unfortunately uh yeah pretty pretty stupid really and but, and and poor policy uh and I, unfortunately yeah we, we blew billions on on stimulus for the you know to, to help the private builders effectively um and rather than building social houses which is what we should have done um i guess the other question i have about social housing is in australia which government is responsible for it like who can we blame Oh, look, it's a shared responsibility between the states and the feds. And the, and the problem with it is um, I generally put it on the feds, uh, even though the states are kind of more uh, more notionally responsible for it. But I put it on the feds. I put most of the policy failures in the nation on the federal government, even if it's a so-called state government responsibility. Yeah. And the reason for that is the federal government collects 80% of the nation's tax revenue. All right. So... You know, if you want to use the immigration story, the, the federal government always runs a huge, or has for the last 20 years, basically, run a massive immigration policy because it's been, and, and because they get the gains from that, that immigration. So if you inflate the population, you grow 
the population every year by hundreds of thousands of people. The federal government collects the tax revenue from that through the higher, higher personal income taxes. So if you import a whole bunch of workers, most of them are going to work. They're going to generate income tax. That money will flow to the federal government. The federal government will also get the extra money from the uh, corporate taxes. So if you're a oligopolist like Woolworths, Coles, whatever, you've got more people to sell to, you make bigger profits, the federal government gets a cut. So it's a win for them. The problem is you've got to provide services and infrastructure for these extra people. And the responsibility for services and infrastructure falls on the states who only collect, you know, about 13, 14% of the tax revenue and the local governments collect, you know, even less than that. Um, so the service responsibility falls on, and that includes social housing, but so they're always like starved of funds. Health, yeah, education, health. Social housing, infrastructure? Uh, yeah, yeah, pretty much. Mate. Yep, most infrastructure. What does the federal so, government do? Apart from federal government gives some grants to the states and whatever, and they and they, you know, they do do Medicare and they, they have some Medicare, overarching yeah. things, but not the not your, um, you know, the running of hospitals and schools and all that right. stuff. So, all the people servicing type services and infrastructure is most of it comes from the state government, but they they're starved of funds. So, one of the reasons why the states haven't built enough social housing and infrastructure and everything else that we're short on schools hospitals the whole lot to keep up with this rabid population growth is because mm. they're not they don't get the revenue from it and they're left with the cost so they're always broke so as a result you see the state government selling off everything they can um which we've seen for the last you know really 30 years um privatizations left right and center now shelly you live in sydney now and you know this because you live in sydney um 20 years ago you could pretty much drive around sydney and you wouldn't hit a toll road unless you crossed the bridge or went under the tunnel. At least now, that I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but but I mean, it was, it was like, uh, it might have been one other toll road somewhere, but it was like pretty much you could drive around without a toll road if you didn't cross the bridge or went under the, under the, under the tunnel. Nowadays, you can't drive anywhere in Sydney without basically having Transurban take your money out of your wallet because Sydney, Sydney is the most tolled place in the world. It's got the most, it's got about 20 toll roads and they're, they're all in the most important places, et cetera. Is that really the most tolled yep. place in the world? Toll, most, most tolled city in the world. And the reason why they've done that, and Melbourne's done it to a lesser extent, but luckily it's a flatter, it's not as, you know, uh, it's, it's got a better. It's a very different geography, right? It's a lot easier it is, to yeah, avoid a toll road in Melbourne. It. And there's no, there's no, like, it's not locked in by the Blue Mountains. You're not locked in by the harbour and all this sort of stuff, but or it's not as hilly. It. Yeah, it's not as hilly and all that sort of stuff. So it's an easier place to, build out from but sydney the reason why sydney's built all those toll roads is because your population has grown by a million and a half people this century alone mm -hmm. now the state so if you funnel in all these people the state coming like, oh geez we've got to you know everything's grown or hot we need to build stuff oh we can't afford to build it so we'll do these public private partnerships where we'll contribute some of the cost but you know these private operators like transurban will will build it or whatever and then they just end up click, clipping a ticket on it and then if you're a resident of Sydney or Melbourne or any of these other places where this has happened in different ways, but in the same sort of thing, you, you look back 20 years and you go, hang on, I've got a lower quality of life because now I'm living in an apartment rather than a house when I could have afforded a house 20 years ago because uh, there's all these more people. Um, I used to, to drive around for free. Now I drive around in more traffic and I'm paying an arm and a leg for it. And this is kind of, this is because the cost of this growth has fallen on state governments who can't afford it so they, they sell everything which then leaves you as user paid they do these public private partnerships which are basically instead of selling it you just let a private operator basically run it and and um, collect money from it and so 
that's kind of the situation we've had. And, and it's it's not just social housing, it's everything. And we're seeing with water now. So there isn't enough natural water anymore to um, to cope with the population increase we've got, especially with climate change. So now we're desalinating everything. Mm -hmm. And we're going to have to build more desal plants. Desal, desalinated water costs four times as much as dam water. So all it means is that everyone's average water bill goes up. That's Same incredible. Four times as much. Yep. Um, <coughs> So, in, in, Please, and, um, does that include capex, or is that just um, um, based on the operating costs? Of yeah, I think water? it's just the operating costs. I'm, I'm not sure because the the uh, I need to look into it. The Infrastructure Australia did a report about three or four years ago on the the future cost of water supply if you desalinate yeah. and everything, and basically it forecasts that the average water bills are going to go up four times in real terms. Um, so that's after inflation. Uh, yeah, oh, once you count wow. in, in, after you adjust for inflation, um, basically to cope with. You know population growth and climate change so you sort of think well why are we doing this like why are we growing so quickly when all it means is you're gonna end up paying more for everything uh, that's and such a good question i did want to just ask you to, to delve a little bit into migration policy where it's where it's been or where it's come from and how we got to this point where you know we're, we're adding four hundred thousand people a year a canberra yeah um <laughs> look yeah it, it's look it, it's, it's kind of crazy so um and this is the hilarious thing. So I'm sort of like known as the, oh, you're the anti-immigration. It's not true. I'm, I'm anti-high immigration. But hilariously, I wrote a paper in but also for Australian reason, Treasury. Right? It's not just, oh, I, don't, I don't like having more people. I don't. No, need, it's just, it's got to be, it's just we haven't. So the weird thing is in 2003, I wrote a paper at the Australian Treasury. It never got published. It was like internal paper about all four, like, um, skilled migration. But back then we were running it at really low levels. And I wasn't arguing that it increased it. I was just arguing that it was good the way we do it. Um, now, to put into what perspective, what levels was it at then, Lee? Sorry. Okay, so the sixty-year average after the Second World War, so between so this includes the fifties and sixties when we, you know, did the populated perish. Um, average migration levels for that sixty years up until two thousand five was eighty-five thousand a year net overseas migration, and that to me worked beautifully. Like, you know, we wouldn't be having this conversation if we kept it at that level. Unfortunately. In the early 2000s, the Howard government decided that, uh, you know, under the guise of skill shortages and aging population, which we've always had, um, they decided to basically ramp up the immigration program massively. They more than doubled it. So between 2005, when it really picked up after that policy was announced, and the pandemic, so that 15 years, we averaged 220,000. So we went from 85,000 to 220,000. This budget has us, apart from years of extreme growth where it's 715,000 net overseas migration but the steady state growth after that it's assumed 260,000 a year so you went from 85 to 220 and now the budget predicts going forward we're going to have 260 so that's 40,000 more than what we had in the 15 years leading up to the pandemic when it broke everything so that's migration yep it, yeah, yeah, just just net overseas migration population growth like 140,000 because I feel like we're talking yeah. about before yeah. so it was around 400,000 in total uh, yeah, so so in the so in the twenty uh, years, uh, sorry, fifteen years late of the pandemic, it was about four hundred thousand ish. Uh, like it fluctuates; it can be a little bit more. No, but, and, and then over the next five years, what? Uh, so so the next five years, it's going to be four hundred and forty thousand a year, according to the budget, which is a camera. Yeah, total. Okay, versus on average four hundred. Yeah, probably more like three eighty was the was the average. Three eighty. Okay. But the the thing about it is, everyone says, oh, you know. Two thirds of its migration, one third of its natural increase. It's not actually true. Pretty much all of its migration, because natural increase counts children and migrants. So mm -hmm. if you import someone 
they come over here, then have kids. Well, that their children isn't counted as uh, migration is counted as natural increase. So, but, but, it, but it's I caused mean, by that migration. As the proportion of the population, wouldn't that be a small percentage? So it no, it no, it's, oh no, it's large. I mean, or it's like, skewed. Birth for, is skewed to that cohort. Yeah. So, um, because migrants tend to be younger, and they, um, I mean, the the natural increase is is uh, so basically, if we didn't have migration, Australia's population pretty much wouldn't grow at all. Um, all right, so it's net all. bad zero death. Yeah, bad zero. Yeah, zero. I mean, uh, uh, our our birth rates uh, below replacement. So oh, um, so that really is all from migrants, right? Yeah, well, it doesn't mean look, so we wouldn't necessarily. So if we had zero migration tomorrow, we would. Uh, it doesn't mean our population would, would fall tomorrow because as we because we're getting older. As the previous migrants. Uh, yeah, and 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 the the age profile is increasing. So as long as um, life expectancy continues to rise. Um, your population will continue to grow even with no for a period and then it hits its limit and then it'll start to fall. But, you know, I'm not one of these guys who argues with zero immigration. I think it's ridiculous, but I think it should be back to sort of 100,000 a year, which is kind of in line with what it was before we ramped it up to this 260, which is what, which is what's planned. Um, So 15 years, I just really want to make this point. Sorry to keep cutting off, Lee. We've mm. had 15 years of circa 380,000 Population growth. Years or nearly twenty somewhere. Oh, well, no, no, because because over the pandemic it fell. But if you went from two thousand five right. to two thousand twenty, uh, sorry, population didn't fall, but immigration fell. Yeah. Um, okay. So two thousand five so to twenty twenty three on uh, average to twenty twenty. Okay. It was it, it averaged um, so immigration was two twenty a year and overall population growth was about three eighty. Okay. Right. So fifteen years of growth of three hundred eighty thousand. Per annum has brought us to this current state of um, crushloaded everything. Sure, you call it overcrowded. Um, I mean, well, it depends on how you define that. But certainly, um, you know, I I think talking about it before we recorded this show, we were talking about how it's brought us to this state where you can clearly say there's been a decrease in um, the quality of life. Hundred percent in the major cities. Yeah, and all right, and and uh, now we're going to um, ramp that up even more. Yes. So, for example, um, Melbourne, well, Victoria is projected over the next five years to add six hundred fifty thousand people. Mm-hmm. So that's basically, uh, oh, sorry, I think it was six eighty. So that's so that's basically one and a half Canberra's in five years. Uh, Sydney, oh. Sydney will add basically a Canberra over the next five years. Um, so you know, it's just these absolutely absurd numbers, and the the commercial um, uh, company, the commercial uh, property company CBRE, has released a report. Now you know this is based on their projections, so it's not necessarily this means going to come true. But but they're they're projecting that Australia's population is going to grow by four point four million in the next ten years. Mm-hmm. So the the ten years to twenty twenty three. Now to put that into perspective, and and that, and that probably makes sense given that we're going to have two point two million over the next five in the budget, 10 years, 4.4, sounds about right. And and so to put that in perspective, that's like growing by a Brisbane, an Adelaide, a Canberra and a Darwin in 10 years. Like, can you imagine adding basically those cities of Australia worth of population in 10 years? It just doesn't make sense. It's impossible. So you need all the hospitals to go with them. So, I mean, if, if you're not... But you know, gonna... hang on, Leaf. It's not a problem. Uber's going to do flying taxes. <laughs> it's all going to be fine. You know what I mean? It's, it's just, it's nonsensical that you think you can 
So Melbourne's currently at about, you know, Melbourne, Sydney, about same size now, about 5.2 million each. Uh-huh. And yeah, okay, 4.4 is not the size of Melbourne City, but it's not far off. It's basically what 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 what, what yeah. these two cities were at, you know, not about 10, 10 years ago. So All right. it's just impossible. Well, okay, so I mean, ten years. Here's the counter arguments that I can think of. I'm sure listeners will have plenty more, and I look forward to hearing them in the comments. Um, all right, so Australia is a very big country, right? And you already see um, this has been policy within at least I know of Victoria and New South Wales, this idea of a hub and spoke model to cities where they're trying to, you know, you've got Geelong, Bendigo, Ballarat, um, Newcastle, um, uh, forgive me, I don't know, a Parramatta. So can, I, I mean, I'd say Parramatta's in Sydney, but um, can we not just put, the um you know pedal on the gas in that respect and then the other respect is i know that um from you know personal experience around where i was living in melbourne having um planning permits come up they're trying to increase the density of living um and and suggest that that's not going to detract from quality of life so um you know is, is it is there an argument on the flip side here that it can actually be done lee no not 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 that vo- not that volume no way I mean, is you could it, do is it. Is it that volume and time aspect of it, or is it simply just even if we do that volume over twenty years, it's going to be problematic? Oh yeah, over twenty years will be problematic as well. But um, I mean, you just can't fire hose that many people in and expect everything to work. Um, I mean, the whole thing about you know densifying all that. I mean, mm-hmm. whether you you know agree with it or not, the fact of the matter is, like the classic example. So, you know, if you've got a thousand people that come into a suburb that you need to house. What's easier, building five or six apartment buildings, like massive mega apartment blocks with, mm-hmm. you know, hundreds and hundreds of apartments each? Or is it easier to, to, you know, buy up 40 detached houses? Well, not 40, like, you know, however many detached houses and build, you know, two or three dwellings on that house. That's incredibly hard because for yeah. starters, you, 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 um, you need to, like, in my suburb, hardly any houses actually ever sell. So you've got to first find the houses to sell. Um, so, so my suburb, you know, so I'll be lucky, way, I'll be lucky, I'll be, I'll be lucky to get 20, 30 houses a year would probably sell in my suburb. Okay. Like it's just rare to even see a for sale sign. So you've got to find those places, right? You're then going to buy the land. You're going to pay extremely high prices. And then you've got to go and, you know, build, I don't know, a town, four townhouses on it whatever you're just not going to so if you've got that quantum of people coming in that quickly it's going to follow the path of path of least resistance right. the path of least resistance is to build a ginormous high-rise sure because and it's I mean, the easiest quickest cheapest nastiest whatever and it's and it's a horrible lifestyle well we've already seen the problems with that as well is that yeah. there's an unregulated building sector for well Flumble, not just multi dwelling yeah. but when you do multi-dwelling then it compounds the issues that they have around if you know regulations around um, what materials they're using, whether or not they're flammable, yeah, flammable. Yep. Sort of thing. you just you can't know, do quite. Are they building on um, a swamp land that's going to sink? I shouldn't laugh when I'm saying this. They're very oh, no, flood so zones. Are being really affected by these issues already. Yeah, well, that, that that's the problem. So my whole point is if you grow that quick and that fast, you can't do quality. It's just impossible because you're going to have to house these people really quick and then you're going to obviously cut corners. Yeah. Uh, and you're going to go the path of least resistance the sort of high-rise trash 
than Melbourne and Sydney have built in the last decade or so. Um, I mean, not, I'm not saying all apartments are bad. You need them. But the ones that we've built haven't been good. I think everyone agrees. No, yeah. Sorry, they're, they're pretty sorry, horrible. I scratch my head. Why do they need to be built like this? I mean, you can go up however far because, you're allowed to. Because we've grown so quickly. But you just can't. It's the only way we could accommodate that volume of people. I mean, Melbourne's Melbourne as a city grew by forty five percent in so far this century. So we were at three point three million. Wow. Yeah. In two thousand, and now we're at five point two. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's nearly half. And if you're going to grow by half, you're going to obviously cut corners because you're going to have to get people in. You're going to like so the quality of housing stock is going to be really poor, and you're okay. not going to have the infrastructure. You just can't build it quick enough. And Sydney, yeah. Sydney, Sydney's grown by not quite as much, but still grown by like Sydney with 3.6 million people at the time of the Olympics, pretty much. Now you got 5.2. Um, <laughs> you know, you can't you can't uh, do quality when you grow like a science experiment. It's just not possible. And unfortunately, the plan is to grow like an even faster science experiment. Uh, so it's just like so it's before not possible. We, we talk about this plan a bit more. I do want to ask about. Um, obviously the services are really important. You touched on it actually just then, you know, infrastructure. Um, maybe there's lo- maybe there's less infrastructure needs with multi-dwelling in the sense that you don't need further roads out further and they're trying to get people to not drive cars as much. But you still need health and education. Um, and you made a comment quite a bit before about um, how, you know, the state governments don't have money to, to fund all of this. But... I also want to ask you about the federal government because we've spent, I think it's at least a decade with budget deficits. No, I'm sure it's more than that. But and and you know, the, this government was so excited to announce that they had um, got a surplus in this budget. Where, they can't fund it either. Not no, and, fund it. And the hilarious thing is, so um, the former government and this government, they they banged on about how they got this hundred billion dollar infrastructure pipeline, right? And it sounds great. Like you say, hundred billion. Oh, it's just a lot of money. It was over ten years. So you'll get ten billion dollars a year on a population increase. Oh, that's at, nothing. Exactly. So ten billion dollars is is the budget figure, right, for infrastructure build the next ten years. Now, as CBRE just said, or what the if you want to extrapolate the federal budget, that's on a population. So you got you got ten or hundred billion dollars to spend on a Brisbane and Adelaide a Canberra and a Hobart worth of people. It doesn't even touch the sides. No. Uh, and you, it's Especially scary. if you're building more infrastructure in existing cities, right? Like I'm just quoting yeah. this back from Super you. expensive. It just costs so much. Yep. So unfortunately, so the whole thing about, oh, no, we just need to infill. That's cheaper. Is it really? Um, you know, I can see the point to a degree, but at the same time, when you've already got a built-out city like City of Melbourne, which are already congested, in order to add an extra unit of infrastructure, whatever you want to call it, it costs a hell of a lot of money because you've got a tunnel everywhere. So if you want to build a new road, you can't build it above the ground because it's already congested and there's apartments and houses up to the road, up to the existing roads. Mm-hmm. So you've got to go underneath them. And tunneling costs an absolute fortune. Same if you want to build a train line. You've got to build you got a tunnel and then you've got to also obviously build stations. And stations, you either got to build them underground, which costs a whole lot of money, or you got to buy land on top. So you got to reacquire properties and purchase some of the most expensive real estate in the world to then build the stations. So everything costs a fortune when you try and retrofit. I told you about the water thing. Like you want to provide more water, you got to desalinate. You got to build desal plants. They cost a fortune, not just to run, but also to build. 
And then you've got to pump the water uphill from sea level to, you know, Western Sydney or whatever, like is like 30, 40 Ks um, uphill to get it to them, which used a lot of energy. So this whole notion, oh, we just need to build a way out of it. It's like, well, how? We haven't, we didn't do it in the 15 years leading up to the pandemic. We never built enough yeah. because the state governments are drowning in debt. So what we did build cost them an arm and a leg. They're, they're like, you know, Victoria's got the lowest credit rating in the country. It's about to get downgraded again. Um, sitting on a hundred and sixty billion dollar debt pile. Yeah, to their credit, they are trying to build. You know, they're tr they are trying. Yeah, yeah. To do well, that, but, but I mean, look, look. I, I mean, I'd argue the the projects they're doing is stupid. Like the suburban yeah, rail loops, yeah. the dumbest project <laughs> I've ever seen. But, but I mean, I, I don't blame. I blame the federal government first and foremost because they're the ones who firehose people in, collect the tax revenue that they get, and they don't distribute it down to the states. And I guarantee you, if it was, if the federal government was forced. To uh, you know, say for every new resident you bring in, you got to give the states fifty thousand dollars or something to pay for their infrastructure costs, which wouldn't even cover it anyway. Uh -huh. But if they were forced to do that, I guarantee they wouldn't be so gung ho about running a huge immigration program because suddenly they'd be wearing the yeah. cost of it. But it's so this is a problem. We've got this disconnect where the feds get the gains; they love it. You know, this is great. This this is going to help the federal budget, but the costs get dispersed on the state governments, who then disperse the cost on the WAS by selling everything, privatising everything, letting, you know, private rent seekers like Transurban then gouge us. Um, so it's like this big pass the parcel. And in the end, it's the residents who get shafted. Um, through, so, you know, through, through, through lower amenity, not, not have enough infrastructure because, you know, because um, we just don't build enough hospitals. Like we haven't had built, you know, you, you, you don't see many new hospitals get open, do you? Every every year, the population is like. But where's the land as well? It's a similar. Exactly. You know, the hospitals. High rise schools, the whole thing. Yeah. So it's just, uh, it's pretty bleak. And it's so you know, bleak. It is. Sorry, I'm a bit of a downer, but it's just, they, 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 these are the these are the facts. And, and this is the whole thing in the budget. This is why I hate that these projections, the immigration projections, the population, are all buried at the very end of budget paper number three in the appendix when they should be up front. And part of the reason is not just the fact that the feds collect all the money. It's the way we measure everything in this country or around the world. So, you know, if you're an economist, GDP is the gold standard, right? Just basically just output, economic output. It's, it's Should a, it be the gold standard? No, I mean, we no, shouldn't it's get a stupidest into this measure. Episode. Leaf, can we do another one? About oh, yeah. Oh, the flaws stupid. of GDP. Yeah, right. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. You in. yeah, book me in. Now, but the whole thing is, you know, GDP on its own is a stupid measure. Like all this is just output, right? So mm. I can go and knock down my house <laughs> and, build, and build another one and it'll add to GDP, right? So I'll add to GDP by knocking it down. should add to GDP yeah. as well. It sure does because you're getting something to do it, right? So in the end, I'll end up with a house when I already had a house and I'll, you'll get double dividend GDP because you've knocked down a house. So that, it never accounts for what's lost. It only accounts for the, okay, the output. Right. So right. I, can, I can have a whole bunch of people come down, knock down this house, spend $50,000 doing it and taking all my stuff all, all the junk away like wrecking the environment and then they could go and replace the house with another house that's pretty much you know probably wouldn't be that much better than what i got and that's all great for gdp it shows you how fast school it is but even worse we don't just measure gdp like we measure it as a pie right so the whole economy as a pie it doesn't we don't measure it on a per person basis so yeah. as a result you can grow the pie just by fire hosing in extra people but that's not what What's the point of doing that when everyone's share of the pie gets less? And that's basically what we don't even measure it in per person terms, per capita terms. We measure it as a whole 
So yeah. the whole it's reason exactly why the same as companies, right? Except yeah. often in companies you'll do a per share adjustment so that you know if they've gone and yeah. done these crap deals and raised yeah. capital. But they got bigger, so it looks good. Yeah. Okay. And and and, and the you know the the crazy thing is you know um, the whole reason why Australia had this you know golden economy in the twenty years later COVID. Remember we had, you know we didn't. Australia hasn't had a recession in 20 years. Yeah, record. Yeah, mean? it's complete garbage. The reason why okay. we had that was because we grew the population faster than anywhere else. And oh. actually, if you strip out population growth, we had multiple recessions. Uh, so it's just, yeah, yeah. but it's basically duking the stats. So okay. um, the right, Fed's save that for the next episode. But so what, what I want to ask is, um, uh, like you just said, this is this is so dire, it's so dark to hear about. Um, and it does feel like uh, I feel like a, a, a frog in um, a ball that's slowly heating up, and um, you know I'm not really noticing it. Except, well, maybe now I'm we are now the rental prices, right? So, but what can we do? You know, I thought to his credit or to the party's credit, Dad in his budget reply did actually talk about migration yeah. as a concern. Um, but Leith, what what can we actually do, listeners um, and Australian public in general? Yeah, look, I mean, I think you can uh, now voice your displeasure at every opportunity, whether it's in comments to newspapers, writing to your member, all that sort of stuff. Because um, yep. you know, you know, it's not about being you know anti-immigrants or all this sort of stuff. It's just about having a sensible program that works for everyone, right? And it just means getting back to a. A, a, a number, a volume of population growth and immigration that we can absorb and you can absorb it without creating these housing crises, infrastructure shortages, et cetera. And I reckon under 100,000 net overseas migration is about right. It worked, worked for the 60 years post-war beautifully. We, we wouldn't be having this conversation if we is just Is that continued. an absolute number, Leaf? Like as oh, no, the population just... grows or is it a percentage? Uh, no, 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 you don't, you don't do it by percentage. So, okay. the, the, so, so the business lobby saying, oh, we need to do a fixed percentage of immigration at like, you know, say one and a half percent of the economy. Uh, the population. business lobby, the ones that are going to benefit uh, after yeah, cool. the federal government from all these extra people. The, re the reason why you don't do it in a percentage terms is because that means exponential growth, right? Okay. So mm -hmm. obviously, you know, 1% of 26 million people is, you know, 260,000. Well, if we get to half a million, um, sorry, 500 million Sorry, what am I saying? Uh, Fifty million people. Yeah. That means you have five hundred thousand immigration every year, and then it just keeps going up. So yeah. if you fix it as a percentage, you're just going to have exponential growth. You don't want that. You can't have exponential growth in a finite world with you know a delicate natural environment that we've got here and you know water limitations, etc. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah. So I think 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 what you can do is just you know voice your displeasure, like you know write to your member all that stuff. But the other thing is. Um, and this, as much as I hate them, uh, from an investing point of view, I don't know what their valuation is at the moment, I haven't looked, but you can always invest in companies that benefit from this despicable okay. economic model. So whether that's Transurban or whoever else. Uh, who's, Coles, yeah, banks. That's it. Just, just off the top of my head. Again, yeah. not, it's not advice. But, no, uh, it's not. But, but like basically oligopolies. Oligopolies that basically benefit from that lazy growth of just adding people through being able to sell more. Um, the developers or the REITs? Or, I mean, is it the same thing? Yeah, well, I mean, it's obviously, it's good good for the developing issue. Well, I mean, High Rise Harry, it's not listed, but uh, Meriton, <laughs> um, you know, High Rise Harry loves this model more than anyone. He's always going, we need <laughs> more people. Well for him. Oh, he, he's made billions of money. But, um, 
you know, so I imagine. Yeah, that's it. That's it. So, so he, he, he's always shilling for more. He always, like he, he said years ago, we should, we should literally get rid of the national or well, the state parks in New South Wales in Sydney. Oh. And, uh, and, and, and Sydney should have, you know, Australia needs a hundred million people and Sydney needs to have oh 20 or something. Like he literally said that, uh, cause it'd be good for his business. He literally said that. Um, so, um, yeah, that's it. But I mean, you know, it, it is bleak and yeah, good on, I guess I hate him, but, um, Peter, Peter Dutton for speaking up, but I don't trust him one bit because, uh, he was the, uh, immigration minister under the former government. So, or the home affairs minister. So, all, you know, whenever you hear about um, the exploitation of migrants, um, which is rampant, uh, just think Peter Dutton was the Home Affairs Minister under the previous government when all this stuff happened. So, you know, until the coalition gets rid of him, gets someone new in who's not one of the Morrison government, you know, cronies, um, someone who was, you know, not tainted with that brush and backbencher or something, you know, Andrew Hastie or someone. Okay. Um, you know, I don't trust them on this either. But at the same time, I do at least commend them, I guess, in a small way for breaking rank because we've had this sort of um, yeah. uh, tripartisan because the Greens, unfortunately, are all for this as well. Which oh, the Greens them. as well. Yeah, they, they're massively. They love open borders. So unfortunately, you know, all the three major parties have all been pro-Big Australia. This is why they never argue about it. They just, it's a, they've had some sort of, you know, gentleman's agreement or whatever you want to call it. Um, not to oppose each other on this and not to even talk about it. That's why, we, that's why I was even mentioned during the election campaign um, that they were going right. to rank. Okay. But at least the coalition seems to have broken rank, at least, even if it is probably just, you know, taking a, a bit of short-term op, op, uh, opportunism and, it's, and they're not genuine. So, you know, hopefully, hopefully they're, they're, I think the rental crisis has... Um, brought this into the public focus now. I think people are now realising, hang on, because it just doesn't make sense to say, look around, everyone's struggling to get rental accommodation. You've got people being thrown into extreme financial stress in the homelessness, whatever. And to say, well, hang on, why are we going to bring in 715,000 new people in the next two years, let alone the out years? And I think it's finally, the boiled frog is now, uh, it's gone beyond being, being boiled slowly to suddenly... It's yeah, someone. And everyone knows someone who's struggled in the rental market. Like, I, I, there's a family my daughter used to go to school with at a last school um, for yeah, primary school. And they've just, you know, like a middle class family, whatever, renting in my area, got booted out. And like, they finally got a place. But man, like, they were, like, they didn't know what the hell they were going to do. Um, really struggling. They got, you know, just normal people, um, middle class, whatever. And, you know, it's affecting them. I know heaps of people who have been affected by this. And I'd hate to know what it's like on the, if you're, you know, at the really, at the, you know, working class end of things, it'd be absolute diabolical. So yeah, it's not right. it's, it's, I mean, like, in terms of the cost of living over the last two years, it's just incredible how much it's increased. It's really... yeah. But, but it is great seeing all the articles about the rental crisis because previously, as you said at the start, it's all been about house prices mm -hmm, and yeah. all that stuff. And that's always been what everyone's talked about. And the renters have always been the forgotten people. But yeah. now it seems like the renters are no longer, well, at least for the time being. Yeah. Um, they're now not the, like you read about the rental crisis all the time now. It's almost daily now in the press. And that, that's good because they're not being ignored. Yeah, and they have totally. been ignored for decades. And yeah, really sure. that, 
really the focus should be on them because they're the ones doing it toughest. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, I feel like that's a great place to leave it. Leith, is there anything more you want to add though? No, no uh, nothing much, unfortunately. Yeah, sorry, it's a bit of a Debbie Downer uh, episode, but, you know, that's just no, what it is. it's such an important topic. And, it is, know, unfortunately. It's so much it's... work into it, so thanks for that. Yeah, no, that's all right. I've been look, I've been following this for ten years, so it's um, and, and it's I could honestly, it's been like a slow motion train wreck for years and years and years, and it's like finally, it's come to the fore because of the rental crisis. So it's um, not I mean, that's it does not feel thing. like it's speeding up though. Yeah, it like, does. It does. Yeah. I feel like crashes normally slow down, but this one maybe it was going slowly, and now it feels like it's getting faster. Yeah, that's it. I guess that's is that what inflation would typically. Dude, I don't know. It's not really. Yeah, well, it's also the type of inflation. I mean, I mean, uh, and this is what I didn't mention before. Unfortunately, the inflation is going to keep rising because um, the way the Australian Bureau of Statistics measures rents is a lot different to how these private uh, asking rents are measured. So, mm -hmm. the I'll just say this quickly, but the the Australian Bureau of Statistics in the rental data that feeds in the inflation, it accounts for 6% of the, the inflation basket. So it's, it's, it's the, I think it's the second largest single component of, of the, the way they measure inflation. Um, the CPI rents, which is what the ABS uses, measures rents across the entire market. So it's not just new rents coming on, it's the ones that are already in play, and that's the majority. So what it means is we've had this massive increase in the new rentals coming on, like the asking rents, and that's only it takes time for that to fill in uh, filter into the entire rental market um and for all the existing rental agreements to readjust right. upwards Roll over. yeah so what this means is that um you know we've had this hyperinflation in asking rents but it hasn't filtered through yet to overall rents like re overall rents are rising but they rise a lot slower it's a bit like when you if you fill up a bathtub and you a certain temperature in the bath and you've got the new flow is the asking rents but it takes a while to change the overall temperature. Sure. Yep. But it will change it. Okay. And, and and that's kind of what we've got at the moment. The the bathtub full of water is the, the overall rental market and the ask and the new rental agreements, the asking rents, which are like, you know, a certain percent every of, of the total rental market every month to turn over. That's the water going in. And that's really hot. And it is heating up the bath, but it's gonna take a while to fully um heat up the bath. What it means is that um you know CPI rents, which how the RBA, how the ABS measures it, which feeds into the overall inflation, is going to keep rising for the next twelve to eighteen months, even if asking rents stop rising now, because it takes there's a lag effect for all the uh, yeah. rents in the yeah. market to to readjust. So it's going to it's also going to create a pose a problem for the RBA, um, and they'll probably have, they'll have to keep interest rates higher for longer, which is which will then hurt mortgage holders. I'll keep rising them. Oh yeah, um, it's interesting how. This migration situation has allowed the investors to pass through all and I suspect more of any rental or any interest rate increases they've had on the loans um, without without that this big increase in demand. I wonder whether they would have been able to do so. No, probably not. I mean, it's 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 a supply demand. So obviously, um, if you're an investor, you've had your mortgage repayments rocket by about 50%, like everyone else, assuming you're not on a fixed rate, if you're on a variable rate. So, um, yeah, but but rents are really set by, you know, supply and demand in the market. And, um, you know, if even when interest rates fell uh, over COVID and obviously investors were making, you know, were paying less in their mortgage repayments, you didn't see, you don't, you don't see rents rise or fall with the interest rate because it's not all- 
right? No, no, no. And because and, and, it's, but because we've got this massive shortage in rental accommodation, okay. um, you know, renters are outbidding each other for, for that, for that stock that's available. So yeah, investors are cashing in, but at the same time there, if you've got a mortgage, they're still underwater. Yeah. Um, because the, uh, their mortgage costs would have gone up 50% as well. So, um, yeah, it's just a situation that kind of sucks for everyone. All right. Lee, thank you so much for your time today. Um, if the listeners want to hear more from you or read more from you, where should they try and grab you? Yeah, just go to www.macrobusiness.com.au. Um, that's pretty much where you'll find me writing about these sorts of issues on a daily basis, pretty much. And yeah, we cover everything from, um, you know, economic data and policy and um, Dave Lowell and Smith, my partner, he, he does uh, markets mostly and um, he does a lot of the energy crisis. Um, so yeah, just come over there, take a look and uh, and you'll, problem is it might raise your blood pressure when you read this sort of stuff. It definitely does. It's also enjoyable. Good I stuff. recommend it. Um, all right. So before I say goodbye for today, if you have any feedback for me about this episode or any ideas for future podcast topics, please let me know in the YouTube comment section or send me an email at contact at nucleuswealth.com. Uh, I'd also like to remind you again, even though it was at the start, that anything Leaf and I discussed in this show was uh, general in nature in terms of advice. Um, and so it's not necessarily going to specifically apply to your circumstances. Uh, but if you do want to discuss any of it, you can contact us at Nucleus Wealth, 1300 623 863, or again, that email address that I just read out. So finally, if you know anyone who you think would get something out of today's episode, uh, I'd love if you let them know about it. Maybe share it with a friend, a colleague, a family member, and help our show grow. So thanks again uh, for tuning in for myself and the team, and we look forward to catching you at the next one. Hi, I really hope you enjoyed this episode that Leith and I recorded today. We actually chatted a little bit more after I closed it off and uh, it was really interesting. So I thought I'd include it for you now uh, as bonus material. Hope you enjoy this as well. Amazing. Thank you, Lee. No, all right, that's right. I reckon that was better than the last one anyway. Do you really? Oh, yeah, I no, like that was so all over the place. So I'm no, I thought it was so. better. I mean, I don't know. Oh, I thought it was, I thought it was better. I think um, it went off in a few months. Like the whole thing about home builder I didn't mention last time, it just sort of came into my head. So Yeah, yeah. But it sort of um, made sense. I, I feel like we didn't talk about the um, uh, the oncoming supply side of things at all. Like, um, oh yeah, about the builders going bust next time. So yeah, like, uh, if do you have like five minutes to just keep chatting to me a bit more about like yeah, about yeah. That? Although um, I covered about the um, the number of builders going bankrupt and the demand yeah. falling so homes. How many? How many new homes would we, or, yeah, how many new dwellings would need to be built to meet this? Obviously, uh, yes, put aside all the um, services aspects of it that we did discuss. Yeah, so a, a rule of thumb is uh, divide the, the increase in population by 2.5. Okay. Uh, yeah. So if you so shoot 2.5. that's the average dwelling, uh, people yeah, so dwelling? Average number of people. And then actually, to be honest with you, you probably need to add another 20% to that because a lot of the homes that are built, they're actually demolitions and rebuilds. Oh, okay, so what yeah. that means is if you, um, so you, to use the example of my house, if I was to knock yeah. this house down and build two townhouses, you lose one house and to gain two. So you really yeah, need to gain sure. one net so addition. One, yeah. 
and, and a lot of the dwelling approvals are actually for you know redevelopments so um yeah it's so rule of thumb i guess two and a half and then probably add another 20 percent on top of that to, to just as a as a ballpark guide uh just to just to account for those demolitions so um what are we building at the moment um i don't have the figures in front of me but it's not nearly enough uh, let me actually yeah grab them that'll be cool you might just have to edit this bit out no that's fine do you If we're doing adding four hundred thousand a year, we're needing about two hundred thousand uh, well, as well. Yeah, well, so so the so the the five year average in population growth is going to be four hundred forty thousand a year okay, so population growth. So, then. come on, computer, what's going on here? All right, so um, dwelling completions currently as of as of December 2022, that's the latest, 170,000, 172,000. So we need a 210, 212, basically. And yeah, now that, that's that, even shortfall based on like if we're doing 400,000 a year, then we still need more than 172 based on that, on your. Um, yeah, and it's only, it's only a rough guide. If you, obviously, if you build more apartments, you're going to need, uh, you're going to need more than that because apartments you're not going to have two and a half people oh, you know right. people per, yeah, per, sure. per dwelling in an apartment so no, okay. but it's very you know loose rule of thumb so um i love it but times point two so yes yeah, so you know yeah you would need about two hundred twenty thousand a year i think with, with, with this um well at least two hundred thousand a year over the over the long-term average to to make it work, two hundred thousand dwellings. Yeah, um, not good. Um, so the other thing I want to ask you about is um, climate refugees, yep. and I mean because Australia has had um, one of the, well. How do I articulate this? Has been obviously clearly a global laggard on um, climate change policy, um, and so you know now we're sort of with the change of government. It's something that we're we're starting to enact. But um, you know, in 2014 when they rolled back what rather they implemented um, and Gillard, then um, they uh, essentially put us on a course to be much slower acting than the rest of the world. Um, a lot of the rest of the world. So, I, I mean, my feeling is that in some sense we owe our Pacific neighbours um, something as a result of this. What, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I agree. But um, the, the thing about it is, so the Howard government, you might remember, was always about stop stop the votes. Yeah. If you remember that now the alert, the well, not hilarious, it's not funny at all, but the- um, I feel like the, um, Abbott and- um Dutton were also strongly about yeah yeah it's, it's, but it's always been a bait and switch so so basically the the thing about it is Australia's humanitarian sure. intakes actually so it's about yeah. you know 17,000 people a year yeah um so there's basically two components of the um the permanent migration program the one you hear about is the 195,000 uh which is supposed oh, to get so around 190 and, and and that's basically you know mostly skilled skilled uh, migrants. I, I say that in inverted commas because it's actually not really a skilled program. But um, notionally, it's a skilled program of mm -hmm. um, you know about 130, 140,000. 
And then the rest, the other 50 or so is at family reunion. So that's, you know, whether you want to bring over your wife or whatever and um, that sort of thing. So that's that's like uh, family places. Okay. The other part of the migration program you don't hear much about is the, the humanitarian program. So oh. that's sort of a separate one, but it's also should be counted as part of the permanent. And that's about 17,000 people a year. Now, Australia could easily double that um, without having too much impact on on the overall population profile because yeah. it's such a small component. And, and my well, view I guess, is... Don't you think it depends on whether you're running a 400,000 population increase or 440,000 versus 260 uh, immigration instead of 80 to 100? Yeah, so so I mean, I, I guess my point is like we could easily we should uh, look to increase the the humanitarian intake regardless. Um, so you, you can cut the overall migration program a lot, and but actually double the humanitarian intake yeah. within that, and it wouldn't wouldn't move like it move the need a lot for the people who want to come here. Uh, the humanit- like, like though, the, wouldn't we need to do more than double if we're trying to resettle climate refugees? Yeah, potentially in the future, but I mean, we don't have to do that tomorrow. Um, yeah. But I mean, yeah, there should be a plan around it for sure. And the thing about it is, I reckon uh, those sorts of um, migrants are going to be less stressful on our cities because they're less likely to live in the cities. So, um, for example, if, if you're if you're going to hold a lot of people from the South Pacific, um, they're more likely to go and live in regional areas because they'd be more used to that that sort of lifestyle. They probably prefer it. They probably right. more into farming, so that could actually be beneficial. Okay. Um, so. You know, whereas the the economic migrants we get overwhelmingly come to Sydney and Melbourne, unfortunately, and that, okay. and that, and that creates right. more strain in those places. So we don't we don't distribute around the country really. They come into two cities predominantly, so two thirds come into Sydney and Melbourne, yeah, and then yeah. and then we get the people leave um, Sydney and Melbourne, and then they go to Brisbane or sorry, southeast Queensland. Okay. So that's why southeast Queensland grows quickly, but they grow from Sydney and yeah. Melbourne people escaping, and Sydney and Melbourne grows from net overseas migration. So. Um, yeah, I guess my point is you could easily ramp up the humanitarian intake of, you know, South Pacific people, for example, um, and you could settle them in the regional areas and they'd be happy to go to the regional areas because that's kind of what they're used to. Um, I'm generalising, obviously. I mean, not everyone's yeah. like this, but um, All right, okay. they could probably work in farming, et cetera, because if you actually look at the, um, the uh Pacific worker program we've got at the moment, which is when they come over temporarily to, to for fruit harvest, etc. That's predominantly South Pacific people anyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, that you could do that without actually stressing the infrastructure, the housing, etc. Yeah, right. in Sydney and Melbourne, which is basically what the problem is. Uh, yeah. So right, yeah, I mean, I, I I think that's pretty manageable, really, because um, they're not most of them aren't going to want to come to Sydney and Melbourne anyway. Um, okay. So that that's a pretty easy solution. I think the the thing we need to deal with is the massive number of you know economic migrants who come to Sydney and Melbourne when Sydney and Melbourne can't really take that volume. Um, yeah, that's yeah. That, that's the much bigger issue. 